it's no longer just about getting the cost-saving element. That has become a foundational piece. It's also about, can the provider step into our business processes and help provide more business value to us specifically? And then the innovation element, particularly with the new introduction of AI technologies, the ability to actually bring innovation into whatever we're trying to accomplish, that's really become what the add-on has been. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. How has the landscape for finance and accounting outsourcing solutions providers changed in the past few years? Which deliver the greatest value? On today's episode of the Hack Group's Business Acceleration Podcast, we'll be covering all this and more as we discuss findings from our new Hackett Value Matrix research, which evaluates and ranks 15 leading solutions providers. I'm Gary Baker, Global Communications Director for the Hack Group, and I'm joined today by Principal and Chief Market Intelligence Officer Andy Warzeka, and also Associate Principal John Sheridan. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Gary. Um, Andy, why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about the value matrix and what makes it different from the way other firms do these kind of comparative studies? Sure. The Hackett Value Matrix is a comparative study for either software or service providers. There's many of these that are out in the marketplace. You can certainly Google them. What makes ours unique is that we blend a combination of the comparison on the feature functions with that of the Hackett knowledge uh, around the benchmarking domains of the processes. So we take a look at what is the digital world class compared to the peers, where are the differences there. And we also do a lot of interviews that are associated with the clients that are actually using these solutions to ask about the value they've received. Are they getting the solutions delivered on time? Are they meeting their budget expectations and the like? So we really have differentiation in those two areas, the benchmarking and process knowledge and the value being realized by the customers that are using these solutions. Interesting. John, tell us a little bit about the the scope of this particular research piece. Given the breadth of capability and the level of maturity we see in outsourcing right the way across the finance operations, we designed a broad-based study focusing on those major service providers that have capability to provide outsourced services across multiple functions, very much as defined in Hackett Group's finance taxonomy, but also have significant presence against multiple geographies. So within that taxonomy, we assess three primary process areas. So we looked at transactional work. And by transactional work, I mean purchase to pay, order to cash, record to report, and consolidation and regulatory reporting. We looked at control and risk management, covering tax, cash, compliance, capital risk management, compliance management. And then finally, we looked at financial planning and analysis, FP&A. And FP&A included business performance reporting, analytics, and business analysis. Now, Andy, for a long time, these FAO service contracts were mostly about handling transactional work and and reducing costs with uh, low-cost labor. How has the market matured in the recent years? Well, Gary, first, make no mistake, cost savings is still critically important to this market. 
So as John alluded to, though, this has been a very, very mature market. I mean, there are providers that have been out there for 20 plus years delivering value to the customers. And I think if you look at what the change has been, it's been around customer expectations. So it's no longer just about getting the cost saving element. You know, that has become a foundational piece. It's also about can the provider step into our business processes and help provide more business value to us specifically. And then the innovation element, particularly with the new introduction of AI technologies, not just generative AI, but the ability to actually bring innovation into whatever we're trying to accomplish within the scope of our business propositions and our business processes, that's really become what the add-on has been over the past 12 to 24 months. So the expectations have changed. And now the expectations, how the contracts are being written is also changing. John, tell us a little bit about the criteria that that, that we use to rank the service providers in, in the Hackett Value Matrix. So I think Andy alluded to the fact that part of the differentiation for this study is that we're looking not only at breadth of capability, but also looking at the experience received and the value realized by clients through the live delivery of those capabilities. So we look primarily at two axes, first around capability breadth, which is the degree to which providers can support clients across the full scope of end-to-end finance process. And when we're talking about functional and process capability, how extensive is their published portfolio of services? What's the breadth of the client deals across that portfolio? If they offer a partial scope, say, just covering P2P or or, or O2C, what's the level of expertise in that process? You know, many F&A contracts, FAO contracts only focus on certain process areas. That doesn't mean that they are delivering poor value. It just means that their clients' requirements are very focused. And then what is the digital innovation capability and the level of analytics and reporting expertise tied into delivering value? And then we also looked at the basic demographics around, you know, scale of operations, customer base, et cetera. The second dimension, which we've, we track on the y-axis in our, in our matrix, is around value re- realization. And that measures the ability of the solution provider to positively impact their client's finance and business performance. So we asked each client whether their provider had brought digital solutions and thought leadership as part of the relationship. You know, were those thought leadership ideas and, 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 and interventions, were they relevant to their business and were their expectations met with respect to the solutions? And then we also wanted to understand the nature of the underlying business case for each of the process areas and then the degree to which that business case component was being achieved was the promise of value being realized. So clients gave feedback on primarily four categories of value generation. One was around cost reduction service value, the experience being delivered through that service, and then that broader transformation capability. So, John, when you put all this together, what are the results? Who came out on top and what categories did we end up end up ranking these service providers into? Let, let me start by just describing the five categories that we placed vendor companies in. Five categories, digital world-class, innovators, enterprise leaders, challengers, and then finally emerging. And let me just explain a little bit more about each of those different categories. So for digital world-class service providers, we observed and then we verified through client survey and interview, and I think Andy alluded that we, we've spoken to 
significant number of client organizations in excess of 150 where they had deployed digital world-class capabilities and assessed the capability of those vendors to deploy those capabilities across multiple clients. And the evidence through those client dialogues was that they were demonstrating the ability to deploy this level of capability with new customers also. For innovators, they deliver superior value realization to clients. However, they are more limited in terms of their scope and breadth of solution. So they become more focused in certain uh, capabilities. Um, and while companies in this, in, in this space are focused on that narrow scope, they're really highly regarded by industry experts and users and, and represent absolutely solid candidates for, for, for service partnering. Enterprise leaders are delivering strong, broad function level capability across the full scope of FNA process. So they focus on operational excellence and they have a really wide breadth and capability. And whilst they possess capability, their clients are not necessarily experiencing the same high levels of transformational value that, uh, that those who are sitting in innovator and digital world class are. And then in the final two categories, challenges are progressing uh, you know, towards delivering greater value realization, but they're not fully established within their toolkit. And emerging providers are developing, defining those capabilities and they go to market strengths, but they're displaying a vision for growth, but it's not yet at a point of, of maturity. Then I think you asked about specific positioning against the matrix. So if I look at digital world class, then we identified seven service providers that achieved digital world class in our value matrix. Those seven providers were Accenture, Capgemini, Gempact, IBM, Infosys, Tata Consultancy Services, or TCS, and, and Wipro. Five others were classified as challenges, Conduent, Cognizant, EXL Service, HCL Technologies, and WNS. And then finally, three service providers were classified as emerging. That's Datamatics, Global Services, Acceler Technologies, and Sutherland Global Service. Overall, the outcome was really interested, and it confirmed a number of things that we see happening through our client work. And that is that the market contains a really wide range of mature and very well-established service providers that deliver comparable levels of value realization and breadth of capabilities. And clients need to align that breadth of capability, I guess, and the characteristics of individual prospective partners with their own unique business objectives and needs. So, for example, around process scope, what do they expect from value realization? What's their level of current maturity? What's their investment appetite? etc. There are many factors which will influence any partner selection. Andy, there's also kind of a, a role for these service providers in terms of driving digital transformation overall. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, there certainly is. And first and foremost, many clients are still in the process of that digital transformation, particularly with the, the back office financial areas. Many of these things are still running on legacy environments and the like. And we all know that that transition from legacy world into the digital world where you do have the ability to automate, you have the ability to monitor more effectively and efficiently, it is important for organizations. The path that many organizations start with is really looking internally. You know, can I do this project with my own resources and what does that look like? And the alternative looking at external parties that can help accelerate that journey, reduce the costs. This is clearly a space where the vendors have that ability 
to show cost reductions, reduced risks. So we would advise all of our clients that are looking at this area to not only look internally, but to compare and contrast that against what it would be to use an external provider. So again, we're seeing the cost savings, the reduced risks, literally across the spectrum in this particular space. I would also add that one of the unique parts of this business is that there is a whole new set of technologies that we saw demonstrated by the vendors that are about to hit the market. So there's a lot of hype around generative AI, but if you look at this particular set of vendors, the the dashboarding capabilities, the use of business rules transforming into more AI capabilities, and not necessarily generative AI, but really looking at the ability from a process perspective to understand, is there ways to improve things beyond just business rules by looking at the broad set of data that's happening at the client. Point I'm making to you here is that we expect in another six months or so, there's a whole new set of technologies coming out that will further increase the efficiencies and the cost savings that these vendors are producing that will be hard for any individual company to bring to bear without incurring additional costs. So this is an area that we believe strongly you should be looking at the service providers in this space, to compare and contrast what you could do internally. John, you know, we talk a lot about superior value creation. Tell us what we really found in terms of the the value creation that that digital world-class service providers can deliver. Okay, so that's a really interesting question, Gary. So I, I wanted to answer that by, I guess, first reflecting on the environment within which the study was conducted. So, I mean, the average age of the sort of customer-vendor relationships assessed within the study was between six and seven years. So what that means is that the underlying contracts are reflecting a legacy or a pre-digital environment. What we experienced through COVID was that most organizations with BPO deals simply extended the contracts on existing terms. They had different priorities, as we all did, and they generally considered that what they had was good enough contracts that were probably already aging and focused on more tactical objectives. You know, those contracts weren't built with digital or transformational relationships in mind. And as a result of that kind of old legacy environment, you know, our research found that nearly 53% of customer respondents listed cost reduction as their original and primary objective for the current BPO contract. And only 28% was focused on transformational capability. So I'm, I'm confident that if we ran the study at the end of this year, we would see a materially different outcome because I think a number of those contracts would have evolved. The contracts would now reflect the digital nature or would be, be, be starting to reflect the digital nature of the client's transformational initiatives. That's certainly what we're seeing from our own direct client engagements. We're helping them optimize and reshape those legacy deals or set up new relationships. But I think, you know, I think your question was, was also focused on digital world-class service providers. Well, you know, they clearly demonstrated a capability to deliver an expanded mix of solutions at scale and with geographic spread, whilst also achieving really high levels of customer satisfaction ratings in value realized. You know, whether that was cost reduction, improved service outcome, service experience, thought leadership, transformation. But we didn't just take the service provider's word for this. I think I mentioned earlier that And this is what I'm most impressed from the team about, you know, through client survey and interviews with over 150 client companies, 
We engaged with a wide range of senior executives with responsibility for or being impacted by those outsourcing relationships. We were able to capture and then verify that their providers had successfully deployed digital world-class capabilities that enabled greater value realization. And then from our capability assessments, those same vendors were demonstrating their ability to deploy that level of capability with new customers. What was also quite interesting was the picture varied across process area. So for example, in C2C, you know, the primary business driver for our clients was cost reduction. 57% of contracts had that as its top priority, with transformational capability as an, at number two at 26%. Similar picture for P2P, even more polarized for R2R, with 57% focused on cost, cost reduction and only, seven, uh, only 19% on transformation. Now we contrast that with, I guess, the higher value expectation within FPNA, where transformation capability was was indeed the primary driver. So most clients were looking to fundamentally change the use of technology to drive value, and that was sitting at forty percent as as number one driver. Service value coming in second at thirty six percent. Cost reduction, as Andy said right at the start of this session, was still sitting really high at thirty thirty two percent. And what was over, you know, there was overwhelming evidence from clients that they were achieving the value that their contracts are designed to deliver, although it's not necessarily what their businesses now need. And this comes back to sort of legacy pre-digital nature of current contracts. When we consider deploying digital world-class capabilities, it focuses FNA, FAO providers, thought leadership capabilities across a new a new series of dimensions. I, I think we've 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 alluded to those previously in this call. So, Andy, if companies want to kind of reap some of this value, how can they best find a, a service provider that truly suits their needs? So, I think most organizations, when they write an RFI and go out for looking at providers in this space, are going to really focus around the the future functionality and. Interestingly enough, if you look across that spectrum in this mature market, you're going to find cost savings from nearly any vendor that you actually align with. The real question here is, can you find the best vendor that's going to deliver the best outcome for what you're looking for? And this has to go beyond the feature functionality. So if you start around best practices of what we've seen here, this is starting with vendors that have similar capabilities for what you're looking for in terms of company size. And this may take you out of some of the major vendors. You may end up with a smaller vendor here that is a better fit for the size of your organization. There's certainly a geography element here. If you're in Europe versus Asia-Pac versus North America, who are the primary providers in those geographies does change. And the industry dimension is absolutely critical. So despite our survey listing vendors in terms of their placement here, the industry differentiation is very clear. So looking at companies that are similar to you and what the vendors have done from a working perspective in the geography, the company size, the industry is absolutely critical to get who are your top choices. And once you are limited down to two to three to four of your top choices, it then comes down to both the pricing negotiation, who's going to give you the most value for what you're looking for, 
and the cultural fit. So don't underestimate the cultural fit elements. You know, will the teams that you're talking to likely fit well with your own organization and the way you operate? So this is best practice from an approach perspective. But again, similar companies look at size, geography, and industry. Once you get your short list, start talking pricing, and then ascertain cultural fit. John, a lot, some of this has to start with the contracting process or the renegotiating process. What's the best way for companies to proceed if they're, if they're, if they're at that stage of, of, their, of their effort? I guess this is another another answer, which is depends when you start where you're starting from. So I think in the past, most finance and accounting BPO contracts, as we've mentioned, focused heavily on cost optimization and labor arbitrage. Digital ready contracts, as as we as we turn them, you know, they're specifically designed to move beyond this and add a focus on innovation and value creation. You know, they have operational and commercial flexibility to accommodate the growing use of digital technologies and to help automate and streamline a wide range of finance-related tasks. The challenge is, you know, how do you deliver that enhanced business value whilst also managing all the critical dependencies and, and mitigating the risks associated with that external delivery relationship? And to achieve that, you really need an effective work plan that enables you to make informed decisions about the future of your current finance and accounting outsource relationship or other BPO relationships you know, with a clear execution roadmap. So you know, we, we break it down into three primary steps. The first one is to ask yourself you know, whether you've got the right partner in place today and if your current contract is digital ready. So does it give you the focus? Does it give you the accountability and the outcome and the flexibility your business needs? And that's very much around baselining and benchmarking. It's reviewing your existing contract and ensuring that they're aligned to latest transformational and digital best practice. It's not just about pricing. It's about key mechanisms, commercial agility, and flexibility. You don't want to get trapped or locked in to a commercial mechanism that is going to favor your service providers. You know, the market has shifted significantly over the last two, three years. High wage inflation, impact of automation on efficiency, effectiveness, and overall productivity. So really understanding the market price for services is at the heart of that baselining as well. The second step is to really understand what you want and need from a future finance and accounting relationship. So what role do you want your BPO provider to play, especially as you evolve or mature your GBS or shared service journey? You know, why is it important to you? What initiatives are you driving that may change or be impacted by that model? So we're looking at technology process, organizational changes. And then how does that cascade down into the contractual changes that are going to be necessary in order to give you that framework and the flexibility to deliver? And then the third step is to develop a detailed renegotiation strategy and a charter. So creating a, a dialogue with your uh, incumbent service provider and a roadmap for change. That's driven from the, from the original two stages. What are your key priorities for change? How do you position those with your service provider? How will you overcome their objections? And then you need to invite them to respond to that charter with a clear timeline and a roadmap for execution. And of course, that's just the first step. After that, you've got to execute that strategy successfully. And we're helping a wide range of clients to do that also. And I just wanted to give a couple of examples, if I, if I may, of you know, how, we've, how we've been doing that. So 
for one one of our clients, Global Cosmetic Company. We've helped them shift from a transaction to a transformation focus within the context of an S4 HANA implementation by optimizing a very mature and long-standing 12-year BPO relationship with a tier one provider delivering finance processes. Secondly, for a global electronics company, again, the client was at a really critical crossroad with another 12-year mature relationship, two years to run on the remaining term, and then through a combination of comprehensive deal review that I've described before that looked both commercial and operational uh, areas together, uh, and uh, together with a series of art of the possible market dialogue workshops where we involved a number of alternative BPO providers, you know, the client gained real clarity and confidence on the potential of their current provider to successfully negotiate an extension to the current contract, secure committed improvements, and have a relationship that was better aligned to their transformational journey going forwards. Andy, just to kind of wrap things up, uh, how can folks get a copy of this report? Well, for our Hackett clients, you can go out to Hackett Connect and you can find that in the market intelligence area. For non-clients, we are making an abridged version of the report available. If you go to the Hackett public site, you can find uh, under market intelligence there a registration page, and we will shoot you a copy of the abridged version of the report. If you do want the full report, there's also an option there to be contacted by one of our salespeople, and they can make it available via a purchase price. But I would start with the abridged report and go from there. Great discussion, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today. Listeners can learn more about this research and also, as Andy said, download a summary version from our website, and we'll include a link to the summary version in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode or send us an email at podcast at thehackagroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackagroup.com.